Good afternoon, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. This is show 290, and it is the HR Technology Conference Wrap-Up. Hey, Stacey. Hey, John. How are you doing? We have been through our very first virtual HR Technology Conference now. Are you feeling as tired as you usually are? No, and the food's been way better. (laughs) Yes, it I will have to admit it has definitely been a little bit better. I don't miss the buffet tables. I do miss some of the sushi, but that's about it. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, the food was better. Let's just leave it. Let's leave it at the food was better. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It was definitely an interesting week. There is no doubt about it. Lots of meetings, lots of conversations, more than I expected. So that was a kind of a nice thing. A, a little bit more interaction than I expected, and some great sessions and keynotes. So. I don't know the final numbers. I don't know if you saw anywhere any of the final numbers, but I know that the event, at least all the keynotes, had somewhere in the range of 1,500 to 2,000 participants in in each of them. So I don't know if that gives a gauge of the number of sort of participants at any one point in time. But And that was a nice thing to see, some big numbers for those things. Did you see any numbers anywhere about how many people? No, no. And it's hard to make sense out of the numbers that you would get. So yeah. The fact that there were a couple of thousand people in the keynotes is a perfect place to settle in to talk about what happened. Yeah, yeah. And you had meetings this week, right? I only held a couple of briefings, but you held a a round of briefings, didn't you? Oh, I had about 30. (laughs) Yeah, so in that way, it was like all of the HR techs in my past. I talked to a lot of people about their new offerings and arrived at You know, it's kind of traditional to go to HR Tech and walk away feeling like there's nothing new. Yeah. You know, I had that sense, although the people who are working on safety and health issues are doing new things. And so I think this was the essence of my keynote, that whether or not the people in the chairs realize that the priorities of HR have shifted dramatically and they're going to stay shifted. And I think yeah. I think yeah. your research shows some of that, doesn't it? It really does. And I think not only does it show that that sort of where spending is shifting to, our research showed that we're seeing an increase in the percent of organizations who are declining the traditional HR tech budget, but an increase in the organizations that are planning to invest in distance learning and in areas that would be normally not considered HR technology, but more infrastructure and and sort of technology for tracking where people are at and what they're doing, the contact tracing, that kind of thing. But it also, I think, showed that there is a desire to get more out of their existing technology. That was very clear in our research. I think it falls along with what you're talking about. We saw, surprisingly, sort of the overall per-employee cost of HR technology not go up much, you know, in whether it was large, medium, or small organization or across the board. But what we did see is that the number of applications, the number of modules or things that people put into that number, they tell us how many things are tracked in that and what's what's included in their HR technology budget, sort of jumped from what was like, I think, 8.4 or something last year to almost 10.2 this year. And that, you know, it doesn't seem like a huge number, but that's actually quite a bit when you think about averages. And I was very pleasantly surprised because sometimes you read the data and you don't get any sort of validation of that. And I had a lot of people who I talked to even at this session and this event in the back channels who were saying, yeah, we just feel like we're managing a lot more technology and we're expecting so much more from it, especially in the areas that it wasn't doing before, like in the contact tracing, in the 
internal, you know, assessments of skills, things that we expect it to do now because of COVID, because of, of what we need today. And that had a lot to do with wellness and safety and health and all of that. So yeah, no, I would agree. It's definitely going in that direction. How people get there, that's, I think, the different story, right? Yeah. So tell me about the story that you told. Give me the five-minute version of your keynote. <laughs> well, the five-minute version of the keynote was pretty much that we were seeing decreasing spending in the HR technology space for traditional HR technology that we were seeing the fact that as organizations were managing COVID, that there was a gap in a couple of areas for the data that they needed to make the important decisions. And, and one of them was around their job roles and critical roles within the organization, identifying those and knowing where those were at. They had gaps in skills and capabilities and certifications. We've talked a little bit about that already. And then we were also seeing that those organizations, probably the, the biggest thing that came out of the data this year was that those organizations who had invested in the preparation of those kind of things and having really strong talent management environments where they did have their skills and their capabilities outlined and they did have ongoing reviews and updates of their job roles and critical skills identifications, those were the organizations that were much more likely to be increasing employees and staff in their organizations. And increasing salaries of critical workers and increasing infrastructure technology spending, like we had talked about. Those who didn't have that kind of talent readiness in place were reducing salaries, were going on furloughs, were doing permanent layoffs. And we had done that analysis in a way to make sure that we stripped out industry and size and region, which oftentimes will will make that kind of analysis inaccurate. And still it came out with the same factor. So if there was any big message out of mine, it was that, hey, all this talent management work that we've done over the last you know, five to six years, those who really invested in it and actually did it right, those were the ones who actually came out of the COVID crisis with, I think, not just survival, but actually opportunities to, to in, increase and, and innovate in their markets. And so it was interesting to see that data. And obviously, we had a lot of the data this year about which vendors had better user experience and better vendor satisfaction. There was a lot of insight there that people were looking for vendors who were fitting their cultural fit and who were definitely improving that vendor relationship. So we were seeing a lot more increase in both the adoption of those who had better vendor satisfaction, as well as the fact that we were also seeing that there were some areas where we are in the midst of what would be considered a complete sea change. And that's probably in our time and attendance management area. So like our workforce management, Kronos, Ceridian, Dayforce, those kind of areas. So there's a lot of change coming in that market probably in the next 12 months, as well as learning and development. 37% of organizations plan to evaluate or change their LMS in the next 12 to 24 months. So lots of different stories there. Not a single one, I think, from our perspective. But your keynote was kind of interesting. It was much more of a thoughtful one. I know I sat through it and I was pretty awed by the questions you were making the audience think about. And they, along the lines in the chatter, had a lot of interesting stuff there too. Yeah, it was an interesting presentation to pull together. And so just to recap it very briefly, the pressure that our workforces and our population in general is under right now is identical to the pressure of people during wartime. And the sustained trauma of being in a wartime economy is having all sorts of crazy effects on the business. The textbook definition of sustained trauma during a wartime environment is being confined to your house, having hard time getting access to resources, disruption of the routine, 
financial-related crises or concerns and scarcity of resources. And everybody in the economy is faced with that. And you're starting to see it in the workplace express as stress-related mental illness. And the incidence of stress-related mental illness is going up. And I believe we're going to have an entire new set of disabilities related to both having had the disease and having lived through the time of the disease. And so as you think about the future of the organization, it means that, that HR's emphasis has to be squarely on safety and health and being able to talk without taboo about the things that are related to safety and health, like how do you keep the bathroom safe? Mm -hmm. And who's in charge of doing that? And what are the protocols associated with doing it? And how do you clean it? Or how do you talk about the fact that John had depression this week as the result of everything that's been going on, and his work wasn't quite up to stuff? And he had the mental illness equivalent of a cold. You know, it's easy to say, I I was having a hard time at work because I had a really bad cold. It's nowhere near as acceptable to say, I had a really hard time at work this week because I had a really bad depression. Yeah. Right? But we got to be able to do that. We got to be able to talk about how we are in order to get things done together. And everybody is suffering from being too alone or being too together or being a teacher and a worker at the same time or whatever the things are, everybody is faced with brutally difficult emotional decision-making under extraordinary stress. And you have to be able to understand that there will be mental illness-related complications. I'm going to start trying to correct myself so that I don't say mental health when I mean mental illness. That's Mm. one of the things that we've been guilty of, particularly in HR, of talking about employee mental health when what we're really talking about is dealing with mental illness. Yeah. And it's got to be okay. And mental illness, they're temporary mental illnesses like grief, where the brain is wounded and the emotions are wounded and you can't get as much done and it's hard to think straight. And there are longer term forms of mental illness that are more permanent. But they're all in the spectrum of mental illness and we're going to have to talk about it. So that was part of the presentation. But the fun part was all the new technologies that are out there to help cope with it, both in the bathroom robotics and um, the sort of edges of traditional HR technology that are doing things to make the organization more coherent for the people who work in it. Yeah, it was interesting to watch sort of the the audience, you know, as you were sort of talking, because I was watching some of the chatter going on when I was watching it this morning. It was the nice thing about being able to be done with all of my stuff because I had time to sit in on a couple of the sessions and which I never get to do at HR Tech. So that was just neat in and of itself. But it was funny to watch because as you were talking about all the other stuff, like literally the audience was like, yes, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, this this is how we're feeling. Like the whole audience was, yes, this is a painful year. And you're like giving us a, a, you know, language to use on how we should be sort of understanding it for our employees. And then you started shifting to the technologies and you could hear the, oh my, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so you definitely had, I think, two sides to the discussion that you were threading with the audience, and they appreciated it. Because I think throughout this week, I found was there was a lot of emphasis on what had happened, 
but not as much emphasis on where we're heading from a what we could be doing kind of thing. I, I don't know. What I saw in the few presentations that I got to see was a lot of looking back at what had happened and how we got through it and the heroic efforts that we took, but not as much, okay, now let's figure out how we take what we just went through, which I thought you had done a really nice job of saying, the next step is about how we do something new with what we've already learned, right? Not just that it's a whole brand new way of work. We're doing all of the changes now. Now we have to figure out how we take that forward. And I didn't hear as much in the sessions outside of yours about how we're taking what we're doing now and we're going to use that as part of what we're going to be doing tomorrow once the world looks a little different. I I didn't hear anything like that. That's one of my complaints about what's gone on in HR technology this year is we have devoted heroic effort to making sure that our customers continue to be able to operate. And that's super. But we've lost sight of what it means that that we have kept them operational. And so there's no, you know, in this time of people analytics and AI, there's not a single tool in the marketplace that can help you forecast whether or not you should keep your business open next week. Yeah. Right. And, and you need that kind of radar to look out in front of you and say, oh, yeah, it looks like we're headed into a logarithmic spike in cases And that means that the systems that we're using are going to be overtaxed. And we need to think about the fact that we really only have 10 days before we need to cut the place shut. And then find ways to extend the time because the last thing that you want to do is have to shut the place down in a hurry. That's the last thing that you want to do. It's really expensive to just walk in and after the nine o'clock break, say, time to go home, everybody. That's ridiculously expensive. And you can solve that if you've got good forecasting methodology. And that just wasn't in evidence anywhere. It was as if nobody thought about it. Yeah. And that was the thing I think where I think yours was very much that, you know, our next steps are our choice. I know it was a part of the conversation I at least had in the report I did this year. Our presentation is a piece of the annual HR system survey report that I launch every year. You know, there's a statement I made in it that I think is what tomorrow looks like is really up to us and very much up to HR, in fact. Right. There are some businesses that are going to say, hey, we're going to just try and go back to the way it was. And and I'm already seeing that in some cases. I got a a couple of anecdotal examples of, of people who have said, you know, my boss is just making me come back for no good reason. They just want us all back in the office and there's not a reason why. Right. And now I'm looking for a new job because of that. And then there's other people who are going to say, hey, we, we've learned a different way. There's, there is a different way to work. And they're going to take that innovation and turn it into something new. And I think those are the organizations that are going to be most successful is turning that into something new. You know, one of our data points that we showed was that when we started COVID, just 6% of organizations had the ability or were willing to let 50% or more of their workforce work at home or work it remotely is a better way to put it. At least as the people were planning in the last month or so, they were looking out and said, post-COVID now, 35% of organizations felt that they would be capable of allowing people to work at home, 50% or more of their employees to work at home. That's a huge jump. And I think those are the kind of organizations that are going to do what you were talking about, right? Be able to forecast what tomorrow looks like. Right. Well, you'd think if our artificial intelligence did us any good at all, it would be to help us figure out what we're going to have to deal with next week. Yeah, yeah. 
So I'm rooting for the vendors to start looking ahead a little bit. Yeah. So in all of your 30 briefings, were there any that stood out as, you know, I know you had your full list of, of organizations doing awesome things. And, and I, you know, I'd retweeted that because it was nice to see. We've talked about a lot of them, like, because you talk every week about the ones that you're chatting with. And it was nice to see them all in one place. But was there anybody that you saw this week that made you think a little bit like, oh, I, I need to investigate this a little bit more now? Well, the surprising one, you know, I don't have much positive to say about companies that do background checking and screening. <laughs> no, you usually don't. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't. I don't. But I spoke with Catherine Mobley at First Advantage, and they seem to be taking the idea of screening into the 21st century, and it's pretty interesting. And it, 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 didn't feel so creepy. So First Advantage was one. I spoke with a company called Jobcase that claims to be LinkedIn for everybody else. And they seem to have a head of steam. There were, I talked to a couple of performance management companies and they're all lost. <laughs> and then I talked with a guy who runs a company called Brick, B-R-Y-Q, who was the first time that I had a conversation with somebody who runs a software company where his opening line was, we're never going to be perfect. Let's not start with asking how we can be perfect. We're <laughs> going to be pretty damn good, but we're not going to be perfect. So let's get off of perfect and on wow. to pretty wow. damn good. And it's an assessment and personality play and head and shoulders in terms of the sort of utilitarian differentiation. Here's how you use this. Here's why it works. And no, you should never take our answer as the gospel. You should take our answer as a point of departure. <laughs> um, and that's, that's just unusual. So, so that was a good conversation with Brick. Yeah, no, that's a very different conversation. Usually they start out trying to convince you why they are the perfect answer or the best answer. And you have to eventually open their eyes to a little bit that there are some gaps in their thinking. So nice to have them start the conversation that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a good thing. And then, you know, I talked to, there's a kind of a standard natural language processing company that claims to be able to solve 52 million problems and they don't really do it at all. And I had a couple of those briefings and that wasn't any fun. No. <laughs> no. And because I'm being nice, I won't mention their names. And I was going to say, it probably wasn't fun for them either, so. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes it's not fun for them because I'm asking the right questions. And sometimes it's not fun for them because they think I'm stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, had, I had a couple of the, you, you don't have the slightest idea what you're talking about, experiences. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, we always get that on the analyst room. There's always one or two of them who feel like they are just brighter than everybody else in the room. Usually not the ones that end up going too far, but it's, it's, it's always fun to have a couple of those because then we can all, as analysts, acknowledge that um, we'll, we'll watch them sort of walk away and struggle a bit because nobody likes to, to be working with someone who thinks they're the smartest person in the room sometimes. <laughs> yep. Yep. So how about you? Who'd you see that was interesting? Well, you know, I didn't do as much of the vendor briefings this week, but I did sit in on a couple of sessions. I got to sit in on 
the session by Delta Airlines about, you know, how they had handled their downsizing and their shifting of work. And boy, that was fascinating because Aperture, which is their talent acquisition tool, and you know, it's a great talent acquisition tool. They had basically required it to bend itself in a bit of a knot to make it work. And they were basically asking Aperture to shift from being an external talent acquisition tool to immediately being an internal talent mobility tool and offering people the opportunity to move from those positions that were being put on hold, flight attendants, airline pilots, that kind of thing, into positions around hotlines and calling and taking care of the large number of people that were taking sort of early retirements, that kind of stuff. And it was a, they were calling them, you know, temporary or significant assignments. And I thought that was interesting. You know, like you said, we've seen a lot of vendors who have done heroic efforts to make sure their businesses, their clients succeeded. And that was an example of that. And it was interesting to see how in an industry that I think we would all assume would just automatically feel like we're going to fold, we're just going to let everybody sort of at this point go on furlough, they took a different route. And I think that was really interesting for me. So I enjoyed getting a chance to see some of the customer presentations. I also got a chance to sit through Stacia Gar's presentation on purpose-driven HR. That was really interesting as well. She gave some really good facts about those organizations and how well they have thrived, even in this environment, if they were more focused on purpose-driven approaches to their business models that then became purpose-driven approaches to HR and how the employees were engaged through that. I thought it was interesting that there were a lot of questions in that about from the audience about how leaders can talk about being purpose driven in organizations that were non purpose driven. So I think there's a bit of, I wish I were in an organization like that, but I'm not going on, right? <laughs> so, uh-huh. so I'm not sure how Stacia's response to that was, it was a little bit of, you know, the change management conversation. So those were all really good things. Like I said, I hadn't uh, had a chance to do some of that. Most of the vendor stuff that I saw this week were a lot of focus, like you had said, on health and wellness. I saw a couple of interesting technologies this week around checking employees in and out of their work environment. So time clock kind of things, but we're also in rooms and tools. So a little bit, I was looking at some of the tools that I didn't get to see normally. So I'd stopped at a couple of those virtual booths to look at those things. And I also had seen one learning platform that was focused on learning at a individual level inside of an organization's existing technologies, a little bit like a walk me, it seemed, but those were kind of the most interesting things that I'd seen, but nothing that blew me away when I went through the vendor space. But we have a whole month to go back, actually. So I think all of this will be open and available for perusing for the next month. Isn't that right? I think that's right. I think that's right. Although registration closes tonight. Okay. Right. So you have to register to be able to peruse all this stuff. Gotcha. I have some intentions to kind of go in every week and spend like an hour or two and look at some of the things I didn't get a chance to look at. So I might change my mind. I might find something eventually that blows my mind away. We'll cross our fingers on that. (laughs) Good. So last thing for the call, this was your big meeting of sapient insights simultaneously this week. How'd that go? That was interesting. Yeah. So my first time traveling since everything has happened, and we took a lot of precautions and made sure that all of us had to sort of quarantine before we went and we'll be quarantining after we get back. But the four partners plus three or four other co-workers and colleagues got together. 
in Atlanta this week. They were there to support me for my presentation. So it was a little bit like a cheerleading group behind me while I was doing my Q&A session. And that was nice. That was really good. First of all, just to be on the road again, I didn't realize how much I missed it. And doing it safely too, figuring out ways to stay six feet away from everybody, making sure I was without people in the middle seat. And then, you know, also really finding that how much more you get done. I mean, I've worked virtually for over 10 years. You have too. And we know we can get a lot of work done. But the beauty of being together in a room when you're brainstorming, when you're strategizing, when you're thinking about the possibilities of the future, that is, I think, hard to reproduce in a in a virtual environment. And so to me, I think that was a real eye-opener was to to see how that we got to do that together as a team, build some of those relationships that we haven't had a chance to build. So it was really good. My team is amazing and it was great for them to get to see the entire research process this year. They're now through sort of my the first annual report. And they were as excited as I was for every comment about the the report and everybody who was excited about it. So that was fun to see. So yeah, thank you. It was it was a good session this week. So that's the other thing. The report is out. How does somebody get the report? That's pretty easy. You go to sapientinsights.com, S-A-P-I-E-N-T, insights.com. And right there on the front page is a download the report. Anyone can access it. All you have to do is give us your name and your email. We also launched this week our subscription tool, which is kind of exciting. That is an additional cost unless you were a participant of the research. And that gives you some more in-depth breakouts of the reports, data that I would normally have not been able to get out to people. So that's available this week as well, but that you can click on it. And it'll basically there on the front website, it says our research center and you can click there and get some breakouts by small, medium and large. And you can get our historical reports if you want to look at those, that kind of stuff. So it's been a fun week this week. We've, we had a lot that was launching all at once. I'm going to sleep for all of next week. Pretty much that's my plan. So <laughs> <laughs> good. Well, so we reached the end of the first ever virtual HR technology conference. Yeah. Sounds like you had a good time. I had a good time. I did miss, this is my big week for exercise every year, and I did miss the 80,000 steps of Las Vegas. Yes. So thanks for doing this, Stacey, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will see you back here same time. No, it won't be the same time. No, next week week will be Thursday. Back to our regular time, Thursday morning. And a big thank you to the LRP team before we go, probably, and to Steve Bowes and everyone who introduced all of our sessions. We should probably throw that in before we wrap up today. Ooh, say thank you to Steve Bowes. <laughs> Definitely say thank you to Steve yes. Bowes. That's good. Good point. All right. See you next week. Thanks, Stacey. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.